to British Murders, a true crime podcast with a focus on British murder cases. My name's Stuart Blues, and I'm excited for you to join me on this journey of morbid discovery. I'm by no means an expert on the subjects of homicide and serial killers. However, I have always had a sick fascination with them. Together, we will learn about some of the lesser-known British murderers, as well as glimpsing occasionally at some of the more notorious ones. The bite-sized presentation of this podcast is intentional, as we look to cover an overview of the respective timelines of each case succinctly. A canal is a long, thin stretch of water that is artificially made either for boats to travel along or for taking water from one area to another. The canal system in Britain plays a very important role in the history of the country. Britain was the first country in the world to develop a nationwide man-made canal network. In modern times, the British canal network is no longer relied upon as much for transit or transport, however, the network is still considered to be an important recreational and heritage resource. Canals were first developed in Britain as an irrigation and drainage resource. They often ran between natural water sources as a way of providing water to naturally drier areas. Canals helped to increase the amount of clean water that was available in larger towns and cities. After years of neglect and damage caused by World War II, British canals largely fell out of favour for the transportation of goods. Britain's canal and railway systems were then nationalised by the government in 1947. Today, most commercial traffic is restricted to just a few navigations. The rest of the system is awash with private pleasure boats, hire cruisers, hotel boats and day trip boats. The Canal and River Trust, a charity who looks after 2,000 miles of waterways, now works to support and promote the canal network. The Trust provides grants and funding to smaller canals to help them maintain their heritage, whilst also helping to make the canal network more appealing for those who are wishing to enjoy the network for leisure purposes. But why am I talking about the history of British canals on a true crime podcast? It's because the subject of today's story used the canal system to dispose of the bodies of his victims. Thank you to Robbie Cumming who sent me an email a while back asking for a canal-based murder story. For those who aren't aware, Robbie is the host of BBC show Canal Boat Diaries, which at the time of recording was available on BBC iPlayer. I urge you to check out Canal Boat Diaries if you can. It's a really fantastic show and I've thoroughly enjoyed both seasons from Robbie. There's a couple of famous canal murder stories out there, including the killing of Christina Collins and the crimes of the Manchester Pusher. However, both stories are full of inconsistencies. Christina Collins's death occurred in the mid-1800s and has been the subject of much speculation since as to what actually happened to her. Two boatmen were hanged for her murder, however, subsequent investigations have led to claims of their wrongful deaths. The Manchester Pusher, a killer who has pushed several victims into canals throughout Manchester, northwest England, has all but been debunked as an urban legend. 
On British murders, we only cover stories that have been 100% confirmed and that have an outcome. Anything with a mystery or unsolved status won't be covered on this show. For that reason, our story starts in the year 1956. The subject of this episode is John Sweeney, who was born in the Valley of Kirkdale in North Yorkshire. Located in North East England, North Yorkshire is the country's largest county. For reference, the 48 counties of England can almost be compared to the 50 different states of America, just on a much smaller scale. Sweeney grew up with his mother in the town of Skelmersdale, located in Lancashire, also in northwest England. He worked many jobs during his teenage years, with many of them being manual labour-based. His trades of choice were carpentry and joinery. Sweeney's first marriage occurred when he was 20. It was to a woman named Anne Bramley in 1976. They moved into a house in Skelmersdale and had two children together. This was far from a perfect marriage. The couple had many marital problems, including violent threats from Sweeney, which ultimately led to their divorce in 1979. Feeling like she owed the father of her two children another chance at making it work as a family, Anne remarried Sweeney two years later in 1981. Unsurprisingly, nothing changed. Sweeney continued as he had before. Only a year after remarrying, Anne was forced to call the police after being threatened by Sweeney. Divorce number two soon followed, and as a result, Sweeney decided to move down south to the capital city of London. Whilst in London, Sweeney met 33-year-old Melissa Halstead through one of her friends. Melissa was a former model born in the Midwestern state of Ohio in America. She was signed to the Ford Model Agency in New York when she was just 15. She was an intelligent girl and enjoyed a successful career before moving first to Paris, France before settling in London. She lived in Chelsea, an area in southwest London where she took on work as a freelance photographer. She was in the UK on a work visa. The two started a relationship which was, as the relationship with his ex-wife had been, very toxic. Sweeney was extremely possessive and demeaning towards Melissa. He felt that he owned her. Melissa suffered horrific domestic violence at the hands of Sweeney and he even stalked her across Western Europe when she was deported from the UK in 1988. She had overstayed her work visa. Melissa spent time first in Vienna, the capital city of Austria, then in Stuttgart, a city in Germany, before settling in Amsterdam, the capital city of the Netherlands. This was where Sweeney managed to track her down. Melissa's sister, Chance O'Hara, recalled the last time when she saw Melissa in her London flat in 1987. Chance happened to notice that Melissa was bruised. Melissa stated that Sweeney had beaten her. Upon returning to the flat, Sweeney told Melissa that she was supposed to do what he said and that he had control in the relationship. He said that when Chance left, Melissa would have nobody but him in her life. 
Melissa called her sister from Western Europe in 1990 and told her that Sweeney had tracked her down and was stalking her. She revealed that Sweeney had attacked her with a claw hammer and had been sent to jail, but she was still going to bail him out. Chance recalls asking Melissa if she had lost her mind. She couldn't understand why she would release someone from prison who had already beaten her with a hammer. Melissa noted how John had cried and begged her and that he had no one else. He apologised before saying he would leave her alone if she bailed him out. Melissa then told Chance that if she ever went missing, Sweeney would most likely have killed her. She also noted that Sweeney would likely make sure that nobody ever found her body. On May 3rd, 1990, police in Rotterdam noticed a suspicious-looking army surplus kit bag floating on the Westersingel Canal. The Westersingel Canal was built in the late 19th century and is the most well-known canal in Rotterdam, the second-largest city in the Netherlands. Divers were sent in to collect the bag and bring it to the canal bank. Upon opening the bag, police found the dismembered body of a female Jane Doe. Jane Doe is the term used to refer to a female victim whose real name is not yet known. The body had been sawn through the spine, folded in half and bound with rope. Both its head and hands were missing. Unbeknownst to the police, this was the body of Melissa Halstead, who had been murdered, as she had predicted, by her stalker ex-boyfriend John Sweeney. Sweeney had carried the corpse on a train for an hour before dumping it in the canal. Melissa's family, having grown apart since being deported from the UK, only became alarmed when she didn't contact her mother on her birthday on November 2nd, 1990, six months after her body was found in the Westersingel Canal. With no way of identifying the victim and no suspects, John Sweeney had seemingly gotten away with murder. In 1991, a year after killing Melissa, Sweeney, now back in the UK, met an Australian woman named Delia Barmer at the Hawley Arms pub in Camden, a district of northwest London. Like Melissa and Anne, Delia was the subject of brutal domestic violence at the hands of Sweeney before she ended their tumultuous relationship. Not happy with the breakup, Sweeney once locked Delia in her flat and held a loaded gun to her head. This was followed by 48 hours of torture. That wasn't even the peak of his brutality. On December 2nd, 1994, Delia, a nurse, had just finished a long shift and returned to her apartment building to find Sweeney waiting for her in the stairwell. He had only been released on bail from another stint in prison a few hours earlier. He was wielding an axe and warned Delia not to scream. If she did, he threatened to cut her tongue off. Sweeney proceeded to attack Delia with the axe and a rusty knife he had hidden on his person. Lucky to survive the ordeal, Delia was left with stab wounds to one of her breasts and her thigh, and her little finger on her left hand had been cut off. Sweeney fled the scene and was long gone by the time the police arrived. This attack started a long period of Sweeney being on the run, travelling all over Western Europe and using a variety of false names to avoid detection. 
Six years after attacking Delia in 1994, Sweeney met a 31-year-old woman named Paula Fields. She was the youngest of 11 children and experienced her mum passing away at the age of nine. A mother of three, Paula was originally from Halewood, a town in Merseyside, northwest England, but had moved to London in a bid to fund her addiction to crack cocaine by becoming a sex worker. As a result, her children were taken into care. Sweeney, living in London under one of his false names, met Paula and they started a relationship. It is thought that Paula's vulnerable state is what drew Sweeney to her. Paula went missing in December 2000, three months after the couple met. On February 19, 2001, Paula's body was found in the Regent's Canal, just north of central London. Her body had been cut up into 10 pieces with a hacksaw and placed in six separate holdalls before being dumped in the canal. As with Melissa Halstead, Paula's head, hands and even her feet were missing from the bags. Sweeney was eventually tracked down by police in March 2001 after being on the run for seven years after attacking Delia Barmer in 1994. He was arrested as he was leaving a building site in London where he was working. He was convicted of the attempted murder of Delia and handed a life sentence. While serving his sentence at Belmarsh Prison in South East London, police started investigating other crimes to which they believed Sweeney was linked. While searching his home, police found several of Sweeney's possessions that were believed to relate to murders that he had committed. When police arrested Sweeney in March 2001, they found gory and violent artwork in his London flat. Sweeney had a variety of sketches and violent artwork that he had painted, including images of women tied up and blades dripping with blood. One painting is thought to have held a clue to the murder of Melissa Halstead. The painting, which is titled One Man Band, contained a drawing of a woman who the police believed to be Melissa. One area of the painting had been touched up with correction fluid, however, when subjected to ultraviolet light, the original portion of the painting became visible. It was a gravestone with the inscription, Melissa Halstead, born 7th November 1956, died. A short poem was found that read, Poor old Melissa, chopped her up in bits, food to feed the fish, Amsterdam was the pits. Don't forget, Melissa's body still hadn't been identified, so police were not yet able to link him to her murder despite the plethora of evidence. Another drawing, titled The Scalp Hunter, is thought to have been a reference to Sweeney's preferred nickname, something which he was eventually referred to as by the media during his subsequent trial. Police also found a calendar on the back of a minicab receipt with the date December 16th, 2000 circled. The words nine and a half weeks and the letter P were written under the date. Nine and a half weeks from December 16th, 2000 takes you to within three days of when Paula's body was discovered on February 19th, 2001. In 2008, Melissa Halstead's body was finally identified as a result of linking her DNA to that of her family in America.
Sweeney was finally put on trial for the two canal murders in 2011. Trial prosecutor Brian Altman went on record as saying, quote, Police discovered amongst his possessions often lurid and demonic sketches, paintings, as well as pages of verse, which reveal an obsessive and virulent hatred of women and a preoccupation with dismemberment. It is a picture of a hateful, controlling and possessive man, prone to outbursts of rage and murderous feelings." Unquote. Melissa's sister, Chance O'Hara, was not well enough to attend the trial, however she did testify against Sweeney and gave evidence by way of a video link from California in America. Sweeney initially refused to leave his prison cell to hear his sentence, however this only resulted in the sentencing being postponed. He was found guilty of the murders of Paula Fields and Melissa Halstead after a joint EU Commission funded operation by British and Dutch police. Trial Judge Saunders explained that the gravity of the offences was exceptional and that only a whole life order was appropriate. He said, quote, These were terrible, wicked crimes. The heads of the victims having been removed, it is impossible to be certain how they were killed. The mutilation of the bodies is a serious, aggravating feature of the murders. Not only does it reveal the cold-blooded nature of the killer, but it has added greatly to the distress of the families to know that parts of their loved ones have never been recovered." Unquote. Judge Saunders went on to say the killings had been planned, stating, quote, The method of disposal of the bodies demonstrates that there was a substantial amount of planning. Why the killings occurred, I cannot be sure, but I am satisfied that this defendant is controlling in his relationships with women and, chillingly, that control extends to deciding whether they should live or die." Unquote. To this day, the missing body parts of Melissa and Paula have never been found. Delia Barmer, whom Sweeney was originally imprisoned for attacking in 1994, has gone on to write a book about her experiences of being in a relationship with Sweeney. The book is titled, Living with a Serial Killer. In it, Delia puts forward her ideas as to why Sweeney was obsessed with hiding various body parts of his victims, as well as theorising where the body parts may have been placed. Here is an extract from Delia's book. It's another form of control. Only John knows where the missing body parts are. When we were in Germany in 1993, he told me that he had stuck a terrarium with his dead pet tarantula inside a brick wall at the building site where he had been working. He could easily have done something similar with the missing body parts of his victims. Perhaps somewhere across Europe, concealed in the walls of a building constructed in the 1990s, are Melissa's head or hands, unknown to anyone but John. That is what I believe he did with them. Delia notes how Sweeney at one point confessed to her about killing Melissa. When posed with the question, I suppose you wonder what happened to my American girlfriend, Melissa. Delia was shocked to hear Sweeney reveal how he had caught Melissa in a room with two German men. He went on to say that he killed all three of them and even sat with their bodies for three days while he figured out what to do next. Sweeney then explained how he had cut up their bodies, put them in bags and thrown them in the canal. 
as well as the two German men he claims to have murdered, police suspect that three more women were killed at the hands of Sweeney. Police have appealed for any information regarding the following women. Sue, a woman thought to be in her late 20s or early 30s. She went missing in Switzerland in the late 70s or early 80s. Thought to be a devout Christian and regular churchgoer, Sue lived in the Holloway Road and Seven Sister area of North London. She was training to be a nurse and went to Switzerland to work. Irani A Brazilian woman thought to be in her mid-40s. Irani was one of Sweeney's former girlfriends who worked as a kitchen cleaner in North London before she went missing in 1997. Maria A Colombian woman thought to be in her late 30s. Another former girlfriend of Sweeney's, Maria lived in North London and also went missing in 1997. Detective Chief Inspector Grove said of these missing women, quote, We don't know what happened to these women. We just need to find out more about them and their relationship with Sweeney. We also need to identify another woman whose drawing was found among his possessions and is marked London 1985. We would urge anyone who recognises this woman as them or someone they knew to get in touch." Unquote. DCI Groves also released several aliases that Sweeney had used throughout the 80s and 90s. They include Joe Johnson, Joe Carroll and Scouse Joe. Sweeney was also noted as speaking with a stutter. Sweeney has told police that he has had around 30 to 40 relationships in total across Europe, meaning the likelihood of more bodies being dumped in canals across the continent is highly likely. Criminologist Professor David Wilson said, quote, The mutilation of the bodies is evidence of the deep-seated hatred he has for those women. He is deeply obsessional and sees women as pawns that he can use or dispose of at his will not when they want to end the relationship. It is highly likely that he has killed more times." Unquote. That was the story of British murderer John Sweeney. For more on British murders, please like and subscribe to my channel on social media. All the links are in the show notes. Please feel free to join my Patreon membership or to make a one-time contribution via Buy Me A Coffee to help with the production of the show. Continue sending your British murder case suggestions to me via email or direct message on social media. The email is britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com. And please finally keep leaving the iTunes reviews. They're really appreciated and they help my show grow massively. For now, I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio. Cheerio.